0: This is, this is the city of loneliness and the city of black sheep, Alberta, black sheeps. (laughs) Wait, that was a goat. (laughs) I don't know my barnyard animals.
1: listening to Sex and City, and this is your host Larissa and I am just here before the full episode with my dear friend Megan Krause who is someone I'm really excited to introduce to you but before we get into it I need to introduce someone to you because I was going to do a full episode on him for episode two but instead I decided to keep doing episodes with my friends and also because this motherfucker does not deserve his own episode. So this guy's nickname is Bromeo. And originally it was Romeo because um, after our first date, he threw a rock at my window for me to come down and kiss him goodnight, which I thought was very romantic. Um, But then my roommate heard me say Bromeo instead of Romeo, which I thought was hilarious because he works out a lot and would send me photos of his abs. So, But this guy Bromeo was really handsome, really smart. Really great to talk to. Um, it was a really, they were really fun dates. So what happened was after those couple dates, I ended up getting quarantined for a week because one of my friends had COVID and I didn't got, I didn't get sick, but it was just kind of like a safety precaution. And the day before I was getting out, Bromeo had to quarantine for two weeks because a bunch of his roommates got tested positive. And he was never positive, but, you know, when you live in close quarters with people, you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks. And at this point, I was like, okay, this is a sign. Like, it was going really well. We were attracted to each other. I really actually liked him a lot for the first couple dates we went on, which is very rare for me. And so I was like, okay, well, this is a sign from the universe that maybe it's not going to work out. But during these three weeks that we didn't see each other, this guy texted me every single day. Like, every morning, I would get a song from him or a voice, like not like him singing, um, a song as in him like sending me a song on Spotify, which is cheap. Um, but I would get messages from him every morning. I would get voice notes like nonstop all day. He would send me videos and photos of like what he was doing. And he even set up a video chat for us. And so we did this for three weeks, like every single day. And I thought that was kind of excessive, but I was like, okay, well, this guy's obviously like really, really interested. I'm going to keep putting in the equal amount of effort. And so I did. And then when he got out, we ended up hooking up because that's what happens with all that built up sexual tension. And when you like someone and when it's consensual, you know, sometimes you just wanna get a good bang out. And right after he completely disappeared. And so I messaged him and was like, hey, I feel like something's a little bit off before I start assuming that, you know, you're one of those guys that disappears the second someone sleeps with them. I would like to ask what's going on because I don't wanna like assume before I got your fucking dick off. And then he goes, he, I mean, he responded right away, which was really nice. He's like, I, yeah, I'm really sorry. Like I didn't handle this well, but I felt like you were getting really attached and I'm just not looking for a relationship right now. And I went, <laughs> the fucking audacity on Bromeo, I tell you. But I just decided to tell myself that I deserve better because I do. And I didn't need to be friends with this person. I told him that, it was kind of fucked up because he led me on a lot and I was just matching what he was doing. So that is Bromeo. I bring him up in this episode and I think it's important for me to share this because it is a, a quintessential dating during a pandemic experience. And it's one of those weird things because I thought that dating after the quarantine would be better because people would want human connection and people would want to be more honest about what it is they wanted and who they were. And all that fun stuff but um it actually is worse than it was before which is something I was not expecting and that's something I will get into in another episode very very soon but for now I would like to introduce you to my guest Megan Krause.
0: Hi I'm Megan. It's Megan Krause everybody. Are we doing last names? is Krause. <laughs> Middle name Marissa stalk me if you will
1: mm-hmm. uh, you can't stalk her because she doesn't have social media
0: i do have imdb
1: oh my god you do yeah you have imdb oh yeah megan's been nominate- nominated nominated uh, no
0: let's not she's we're like, not putting that in there nominated.
1: No, I can't that. <laughs> I can't that. um all right so we have a few topics to discuss today but one of the first ones obviously because of the nature of this podcast megan and i are both from alberta Um, And we've had different experiences in Alberta versus dating in British Columbia. Um, (laughs) So if you wanted to start covering some of that, what is one of the biggest differences for you?
0: In Alberta, I could not go eight months and stay single. Mm -hmm. It would always be like within six to eight months, I was back in another relationship. Whereas currently in Van City, I am post-marriage and have been single for almost... How old am I? It'll be four years this Christmas, this Christmas Eve. I've been single.
1: You've technically been single since your marriage.
0: Yeah. Like I've, I've dated, but I wouldn't consider anything shorter than like four months, like a relationship. Okay. So I have been like, like when I think of a relationship, I think of like full on like six months and more. Mm. And so have not been in that since the end of my marriage.
1: Yeah. And you met your husband when you were in Alberta. When I was in
0: Alberta. So he came into the bar I worked at when I was 24, came in with my sister. Uh, She was taking him and a bunch of other guys out for dinner and whining and dining them as a salesperson does for the oil patch. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up going to the strippers. Um, I pray to baby Jesus that my ex-husband doesn't hear this because at the end of that night... I asked my sister for one of his friend's numbers, and she didn't have it. So I was like, fuck it, fine, give me his number, beep. We're we're gonna beep out his name. Yeah, yeah, Um, beep's number. Beep's number. And so I ended up drunk dialing beep. And And him and I ended up having a chat. I wasn't interested in in him, but we exchanged numbers, nothing came of it that night. Then she took them all out again a few weeks later, convinced me to come out just for one drink before I went and met my friends. And then him and I just ended up hanging out that night. It was supposed to be a one night stand. Mm -hmm. We ate McDonald's in bed at four in the morning and we actually had to switch beds because I had stained the other hotel bed with McChicken sauce (laughs) and there were like actual literal grease stains on the sheets. So we switched beds. And then, yeah, supposed to be a one-night stand, then we ended up going on a date, and then I think we'd been dating for two weeks before we booked a month-long trip to Thailand for four weeks after our, like, the day we booked it. So six weeks in, we went to Thailand, and then I guess the rest is history. At six months, we were engaged, married, then we separated. Yeah. At three years-ish. Do you find,
1: I've never actually asked you this before, but do you find being somebody who's been divorced at a young age, do you find that that affects your view of dating?
0: No, it, not for the negative, Mm -hmm. not for the negative. It affects my view in my sense of self because when I was in Alberta, when I did all those steps that you're supposed to do at all those ages that you're supposed to do them, Mm -hmm. after I went through that, I realized that I was doing them not for me. I was doing them because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. And so in hindsight I don't ever regret the marriage, I don't ever regret taking those steps, but I really realized I was just doing them because that's what everybody was doing and it actually wasn't till I moved to the lonely city of Van City mm-hmm. that I wasn't do the, the choices weren't in alignment with me. Yeah. They were just what you did.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And even then I was behind at that time, everyone had already made those huge steps at that point.
1: Yeah, and you're from a smaller town, too. I know that's such a small mm. town mentality, too. Mm-hmm. Like, even me living in Edmonton or Calgary for most of my life, people were doing that, but it wasn't as... Mm-hmm. it was. They were still doing it a lot, but it wasn't as intense as it would be in, like, a smaller town.
0: Yeah, I could think off the top of my head of like 10 or 15 people that I went to high school with mm-hmm. that at the time I was engaged already had one kid or ha- was already married. Yeah. and already married for like a year if not more. But yeah, that was I was definitely like behind in that rat race, which yeah. I don't view as behind, but um yeah, so then I moved out here and then the big fundamental reason my ex-husband and I split was solely because he wanted kids and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then we enter this like feminist moment where I took ownership over my wants and needs and didn't didn't give in. And we amicably split. We amicably had to love each other enough to let each other go to find the, our actual matching person, our actual partner in crime. Yeah. And so, and he just recently got married himself again. Yeah. And it's nothing but love. Mm-hmm. So. I was
1: just going to say, we just did a little internet stalk on him like a week mm-hmm.
0: ago. Um, yeah. He is yeah. newly married and yeah. we have exchanged beautiful words of kindness. And I do look forward to the day that I actually get to meet his wife and give her a big squeeze yeah. because anybody who loves him and supports him has automatic love and support from me and yeah. I think that's really important to move forward just continuously loving him Yeah. from afar.
1: I like that. I had like a conversation with a friend about this about how when you connect with somebody right away when they're the sex that you're attracted to you automatically think that it's romantic mm-hmm. so you're like oh I'm gonna kiss this person and then we're going to have sex and then we're going to date and then we're going to do all these steps but then sometimes you're like wait sometimes a connection doesn't mean that we have to date it could mean like a completely different type of relationship but we're not raised to be told about all these other types of relationships Mm -hmm. that you can have with people and so it's really nice that you guys have this connection you have this love but you know that it's it just doesn't work as a marriage it works as a friendship or you know
0: yeah for sure that's when we speak of the sex and, like, the sex getting us connected to the partner or to mm-hmm. the person, I have to throw the disclaimer out there that I was not connected to the sex at all. Mm-hmm. And I knew from the moment we slept together, like, my first thought once it was over is, well, never doing that again. Mm-hmm. And that was apparently a big fat lie. It was the the safety the, the companionship that he was being that person opening the door to a safe space for me when I needed it so much. And then through our time together and through him showing up for me time and time again, opened the emotional walls. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you where like we have this preconceived notion that just because we've dated them or we have a sexual connection or an emotional connection, that it needs to follow this road of expectation yeah. And if it doesn't follow that road exactly, then it can't be anything at all.
1: I know. That's a crazy thing to think about how sometimes we just end things with people because we're like, oh, we can't date them. I guess mm. they can't be in my life.
0: Or you're not my forever person, so you can't be in my right now. Like right. you're not my future person, so you don't get my like present, Yeah, which I think is a complete miss on human connection mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, like and. Like call me maybe pessimistic or call me like negative or whatever. But at the end of the day, we all die alone and we all like we're all going to grieve a loss in one way or another. And it's like it doesn't matter who we're with the most at the end. It matters the memories and the connection and how we make people feel and how we experience the world together Mm -hmm. and I think we really get it in our head that it's one person for everybody it's one way a relationship needs to be it's one way a relationship needs to look there's no other way I can explain why people come into our lives or into my life and they just know me or we just click and we just have a chemistry and that has happened to me like 10 or 15 different times with different people if not more And doesn't mean they're meant to be in my life that whole time. Like the whole period of my life, they're meant to come in and shake things up. And like, I've had many experiences with friends where it's like I connect and the chemistry is on such another level than what, how we're our current setting is setting us up for. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, that's where my spirituality steps in. And I believe that I've had past lives with them because I've, I've had people where I've only known them for a week and they've had such a deep impact on the way my life is for the rest of my life. And our time together was so connected and so close. It was as if they are in my life, my whole life, Mm -hmm. but then they were out of this realm very quickly, like within a week and they were gone. But that impact is still so deep. So
1: yeah, I introduced a guy on the podcast a few episodes ago at this point, um, Bromeo, but I remember going out with him and I was talking about soulmates And he was like, I actually don't necessarily believe in soulmates. Like, I believe that there's a lot of people that you can be compatible with, but you just have to be at a point in your life where you put the right amount of effort in and the right amount of communication. And I was like, I kind of agree with that. Mm Because, you know, every time you meet somebody new, you're like, oh, I connect with this person and I connect with that person. So if you're putting in the right amount of effort and if you're both, like, on the same page at the right time, a relationship can actually work with a lot of people. With him, I feel like he was just kind of looking for whatever comes about and you and I are more spiritual where like we like to feel that deep connection and once we feel it with someone we think it means something Mm -hmm. versus with him he's like oh I can create that with anyone and both are right both Mm -hmm. aren't wrong but you and I are just kind of the same so when you meet someone who's the opposite it's kind of like oh well that's kind of where we clash you know
0: absolutely but then I think too it comes down to the science of the way a female's mind works versus the way a male's mind works Mm -hmm. and when we get as a female, especially once it hits sex and like the actual act of sex, we step into, and as we all know, women attach more in sex, but to get more focused into that attachment, it's actually fundamentally security. The, the neurons that get fired in our brain and the space that gets activated in our brain is the same space as security Mm -hmm. and if we go back through time we have been bred to look for security and that's Mm -hmm. why we get married and that's and survival so when it comes to sexuality yeah as soon as we feel security we are invested we Mm -hmm. are we're safe we're gonna survive those primal instincts kick in whereas for a man that just doesn't happen at all so they're always gonna have a different point of view and always and I don't think that's a place to shame or judge them. I just Mm -hmm. think we're always going to come into a different direction because chemically we get activated, whereas they don't.
1: Yeah. I hate that. It's like a biological thing Mm -hmm. because I want to be like, no, we're equal, blah, blah, blah. But on a psychological level, Mm -hmm. we do release different hormones and it's fucking annoying. Yes. I don't like it. (laughs) And we talk about this a lot where we're both like, we're not going to sleep with him right away because we get really emotional. But then you and I both think with our vaginas. so We're yes. like, oh, fuck.
0: Yes. Our hearts live in our vaginas at times. And that's something oh, that has aided us and hindered us mm-hmm. at the same time. So I think if we're going to get into that side of things, the the female brain and the male brain, like the only next step is consent and the gray area mm-hmm. because as females, as, I can't speak for females because I know a lot of women who are in a space where they can have sex very, and the consent isn't on the forefront, but I know for myself, mm-hmm. I have uh, racked up a, a list of people I've slept with. Mm-hmm. She's hearty. <laughs> um, but going through it with mm-hmm. a really fine tooth comb as to not only who I consented with a yes, but actually genuinely wanted to be in the experience with and experience all that sex was from start to finish, mm-hmm. that list drops down to like, instead of actually giving my number, we're going to give it a percentage that maybe only, that's a solid 18% that I wanted to enter that space with.
1: I, I remember you bringing this up like a week or two ago mm-hmm. when we were at dinner, as we do many times. And I was like, I'm going to go into my list. And the list on my phone is called UN Headquarters Mm -hmm. um, because Megan says that my vagina is like the UN.
0: Yeah. She is the United Nations. Because
1: every guy is like from a different country, which is fun, you know. But I go into the UN Headquarters and I look at my list and I'm like, which ones of these did I actually enjoy and which ones did I want to be in? And the number drops down to, like, way, way less than half. Maybe, like, not even a quarter. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that list and you're like, fuck, why, how did I let myself get into all these situations that I didn't want to be in? And it's not, and that's the thing, we, we talk about this gray area, because it's not like I said no. Mm-hmm. So they didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't know how to. And I just expected these people to read my mind. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's where that's where this awkward... Not awkward, but this this gray area, this comes. Gray area comes. in yeah. Because it's
0: not mm-hmm. that's the hard part because it's not that it's a no. It's not that these people are crossing lines. Mm-hmm. It's not that these people are um doing things wrong or they're in the wrong. It's it's consent and then it's consent along the way and it is and it's Like I know I am so guilty of it going through my like sexual experiences and how I was raised around sexuality was it was just seeking attention. And the amount of times I have said, no, like, don't put your hand down my pants. Don't put your hand up my shirt. Don't go under my underwear. Don't do this. But eventually I've given in and it's been a part of that game and it's been a part of that. Like, and I know men have that in their mind where they're like, she's saying no, but she's leaning into it and she's giving into it and we're going. And it's not like, it's yeah. not this like affirmed hell yes, the whole way through, but it doesn't mean what happened was like crossing moral boundaries, but it's just the lack of conversation, the lack of education around sex and consent the whole way through. And And it doesn't have to be that really awkward, like, I'm going to grab your boob. Is this okay? Is this okay? This very robotic, like, questionnaire that you have to answer (laughs) along the process. Yeah. Yeah. It can very much be, like, a very sexy, do you like this? Or my personal favorite to stay out of the gray area. And I would be considered um, sapiosexual so i'm all about my mind if you get into my mind if you stimulate it but then also if we talk about sex if we talk about like sexual things we've liked and this is all pre-bedroom stuff one of the sexiest moments i've ever had in my life we were i was with a guy it was early morning we were not sexual at all in this moment we were having breakfast And Seattle's version of the Georgia Strait was open and it was their sex edition. And they had a bunch of stats over all different kinds of things, Mm -hmm. sex based. And so as we're eating breakfast, we're like talking about all these different stats and top fetishes and like, do you like this? Have you ever done this? Mm -hmm. And as we process through that, it was the most arousing thing, but it was also giving consent along the way because we were having an open dialogue of what we liked, what we didn't like, what we'd been through. Mm -hmm. And so as equally arousing, it was consent filled. And obviously we like within an hour of this conversation and just slowly milling through all these different questions and topics ended up crazily aroused and ended up in bed. But that sexual experience post that conversation. There didn't need to be questions. There didn't need to be like this robotic, like, mm, 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 doesn't this feel good? Because we had just discussed it. And I think that clears up the gray area. Yeah. And then also for females, we don't, we've never been taught our pleasure. So how can we stop somebody from doing something we don't like when we don't know what we do like? Yeah. Um. So quickly to get back to the whole point of this before that big long tangent, the gray area, I have definitely dived into that. I've definitely... Uh, sacrificed myself and my wants for attention, for physical touch, for feeling validated in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that has put me not in dangerous situations with another, like not danger with another person, but danger within myself and self-abandonment because I leave the situation afterwards feeling shameful, feeling dirty, feeling all these negative things because what I truly wanted on the inside did not match how I acted on the outside and that's the end of my rant (laughs) on that one
1: well yeah one of the things that we talk about a lot and that we were just talking about before this was keeping each other accountable like when we sleep with someone you're usually one of the first people to know Mm -hmm. Um, because we used to work together in the morning on like Sunday mornings and so Sunday mornings would usually be like this super I mean post
0: weekend you know what I mean. yeah, decompression
1: most people are free on Saturday night so then you'd go out with this guy you'd sleep with them that's usually when it happens and we'd always talk about kind of like how we feel and you could definitely tell when like one of us was in a good space about it and mm-hmm. the other one wasn't in a good space you know and you ask all the hard questions
0: yeah I I think an accountability buddy is really needed as anyone navigates sexuality um, and having those hard conversations and truly asking yourself, like, did I do that for them or for me or did I do that because I was drunk? Did I do that because I felt lonely in the moment? Like, what are those reasons? And they not every sexual experience has to have like a huge philosophical answer to it and we don't do things with this like Dawson's Creek repertoire after or for the Dawson's Creek repertoire yeah exactly but I think there's some experiences that we have that need questioning as to why we did them or we feel awful and I think as women when we feel awful we slip into shame and we slip into anxiety And we we became the feeling of the downward spiral into isolation that we're the only one who's done that or like a rogue thing that can happen in a first time sexual experience. That's embarrassing. Like you ended up doing butt stuff and you pooped, you got your period, you like threw up before or after because you were so wasted or like so many things that if you're not with a continuous partner and you're doing this with like new people, so you don't have that soundboard of a partner when these things happen, mm-hmm. we internalize. So I think a sexual accountability to like, okay, that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, A, don't be embarrassed. B, don't feel shame because let me tell you, I've got stories that will counteract this shameful feeling you're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. But also having that friend that holds you up and holds you accountable in the best way not to shame or to make you feel small, but to help you grow through each experience.
1: Yeah. There's one thing I'm curious about. Um, I wasn't that sexually active when I lived in Alberta. Like I didn't start really like having casual sex until I moved here because mm-hmm. I just wasn't comfortable. What do you find is that the difference between one night stands there and then here, like, is there a difference?
0: Yes, yes Oh my god, I wish you all could just see my face in this I know,
1: because I've never actually asked you this before
0: No, this is like a fresh question Larry and I know so much about each other I've never asked you this So yeah, there is a difference And it's, Vancouver has such a woke vibe to it But there is such, so much more of an openness And a freedom to express And a freedom to try new things Mm -hmm. When I would have one night stands, which recently I have to add, one of my conquests from about ten years has just come back into my world, and having a sexual experience with him now versus ten years ago in Alberta, I'm seeing the polarization between the provinces. Right. Like, granted, when you're 21 versus 31, it's different. But
1: this is one of the, the
0: twins. Yeah. This it, we're gonna call this one Twin B. <laughs> This is twin B. Um, yeah. Like there's such a distinct moment in my most recent sexual experience with twin B. Um, where like I was cupping his balls and giving him like a, a car blow job. So I was not putting on my best blow job game.
1: Like passenger seat car
0: blow job. He was driver's seat. seat. I was passenger okay. seat. Yeah. So there was like a middle thing in between us. Mm-hmm. Not my strongest blowjob game, but I was doing everything I could to keep him out of my apartment because I did not want to sleep with him. (laughs) So anyways, my finger (laughs) slid past his butt and he shot up and I thought his head was going to hit the roof. And like, I was not going for gold. Like this was not a penetrative move on my part at all, but there was like a, a graze and he was so freaked out by it. And that triggered a thought of the guys I've slept with in Alberta. And this is not Alberta shaming because this is not all men. But when it comes to one night stands, I have found it very uh, limited minded. It's very like, Mm. and I hate saying this because I really don't want to generalize because it's, it's not a generalization, but I feel like how I've experienced Alberta guys yeah. with their one night stands, maybe mm-hmm. not how they are all this the is time. This experience though, right? Yes. Like, it doesn't have to be everybody. Yes. Just, disclaimer, yeah. disclaimer, disclaimer. Yes. Um, this is only my experience, but I feel like the one night stands in Alberta is very generic. It is very like vanilla. It's what you see in porn. They rub their version of your clit which is actually <laughs> the spot that's in between your vagina and oh your thigh. That, like that
1: like underwear line basically. Yes. Where they like they rub the jeans? Yes.
0: Yes, but like lots of times Oh
1: my god. It is like
0: yes. it, or it's that tendon that connects your vagina to your leg that when you like stretch your leg it's like right here but it's like yes. taut is tendon. That the yes, it is their version of your clit cuz Apparently, they're making their own. Do you know
1: what's so funny? When I think about, like, the few experiences that I've had, like, in... I mean, I went to undergrad in the States, but it was also, like, a small town. When I think about those experiences and my Alberta experiences, that's exactly it. Like, what is an orgasm when people don't even know where you're anywhere
0: where your anything is is. yeah so to quickly cap off the alberta one night stands before we get into Mm. the geographical locations of our pleasure zones (laughs) um i find it's very like what you would see in a porn it was like, coming in hot, doesn't matter if you're wet or ready, like, I've given you the yeah. 45 seconds of, like, rub down, or you're at the point of friction burn, friction burn. but they're coming in hot, so, like, yeah. no time for lube, like, you're getting yeah. it, and then it's just a very standard, like, pumping, and it's, and I find, like, yes, I've had those experiences with men in BC as well, but I also find there's just a lack of conversation between men and sex in Alberta, And I think that is because it is more a conservative province and it is a more like we are born and bred off oil and gas, off cowboy, like farming. Mm. We we fall under those stereotypes and to be a woke person or to be woke sexually is you're usually kind of going against the grain or you don't really have someone to talk about. And like in your bro chats, you're really... Like, just, like, did you bag her? Yeah, I bagged her. Sweet, high five. Or treat her like a slut. Sweet, high five. You yeah. did it. Like, it's not, like...
1: No one's taking pride in, like, oh, I made her come this many times. Or, yeah. I pleased her like this. Everyone's no. like, oh, I lasted 10 seconds Yeah. And I left. Good I got friend.
0: my rocks off. And, like, I, I treated her like the bitch she is. Like, it's kind of... And, like, again and again and again, this is my experience. And to all the people I've slept with who may hear this... Cause it's hitting my Facebook, so you might see this. Oh, the Facebook. Um, it's not an attack on them mm-hmm. as individuals. I think, and I will probably go back to this five hundred times through this podcast. It goes back to education and conversation. Totally. And guy, like guys, are being nailed to the wall right now of how of consent and rape and sexual, like all this stuff, harassment. Which the pendulum has to swing, but it's going extreme right now. So I don't want to nail guys to the wall on this, but I think it's time to start having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Start talking about pleasure versus an act or pleasure versus, like, what you're going to get out of it. Because at the end of the day, like, that's what's going to prevail. Yeah. When, the, when the pendulum comes back to a regular position or to a neutral space, we're going to need... People who are open to just having the conversation on sex. And then back to the geographic positions mm-hmm. of our androgynous zones. That needs to be up for conversation because <laughs> this bitch is pierced down there. Oh,
1: yes. It you is are.
0: there is an X on the map. Yeah. Like I have got that treasure. You're like,
1: like it's right, it's right here. You cannot miss it. It's right here. You,
0: there is a metal bar in there pointing to exactly where it needs to be. Oh and I gosh. understand, I understand men have an uphill battle. Every woman likes it differently. It's true, yeah. Some women do not want their clit touched. They want penetration. They. Some women only want their clit touched. Some women, like it's all different. Mm-hmm. But man, if I get my thigh rubbed one more time... When that shit is pierced, like we're going to have some problems here. Okay. I'm going to,
1: I'm going to interrupt for a moment and say, do you see what's behind my perfume right now? That like gray bottle, like right here.
0: Uh, yes. Yes.
1: That looks like hand lotion. Yes. That is lube. Um, I put that there because I am so fucking sick of these. Put it. Yeah, I I only bought that like a couple months ago, Mm -hmm. but it's because I'm so sick of these guys that think that like rubbing your jeans for thirty seconds gets you prepared enough. Yeah, and so I'm like, if I'm going to have casual sex and if I'm going to sleep with people that don't care about me, I'm gonna make sure that I have everything that I need to enjoy it. So I was like, I'm gonna buy this fucking lube, where if like. Even if I mention I'm not warmed up enough and they still try, I'm going to be like, okay, well I have this. So I'm going to grab it and I'm going to make them use it.
0: Okay. I'm going to go in on so many directions on that because first I'm going to start with uh, to all men out there, if she's not wet, she's not ready. Women can say, and I have been guilty of saying it myself, Mm -hmm. that I just don't get wet. Yeah, That's a lie. And if we look at the history and tantra And the way a body is meant and can work, she will get wet. It just will take time. Mm -hmm. And you, what you're doing may not be the thing that she needs. And that's where open conversation comes and that comes down to both people. But do not stick it in there when it's dry because it's going to lead to UTIs, bladder infections. It's going to trigger it BV. It burns. It hurts it's, so bad. It's a bad time, yeah. especially if you've shaved and she's shaved and that shit is stubbly. You are. She's going to be swollen up oh. like a fucking grapefruit. And then second... I think women need to spend some time learning their body. And again, it goes back to impersonating sexiness Mm -hmm. and then also holding our ground on when we're ready or not. And the amount of times I've done it when I'm not ready. And I have just slapped on some lube and been like, fuck it, let's do this. And eventually I've gotten there, but I also do know on the juxtaposition or with that, what it feels like when I am ready and like, I have been that person for at least 10 years out of my sexual life saying, I just don't get wet. Use lube, use lube, use lube. But when I do get there, I am like Mm -hmm. a freaking dam. Like it is a flood zone. People get your (laughs) sandbags and
1: no, that's, I feel like I'm, I'm the same way. Like if I'm nervous, it's like a, the Sahara desert. Yeah. But then if I'm comfortable and if somebody, you know, puts in a little bit of work, Mm-hmm. It's like I don't need lube at all, but I think the reason why I bought it was because when somebody's over, and I mean that that does come back to the gray area where I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not ready for this. Yeah, thing. it's already getting there, so I don't want to back out. I'm yeah, like, oh, sorry for being a tease. So I'll, I have this, so like I can at least find a way to not be in pain after, which is kind of fucked up, but
0: that's but that's what yeah. women have had to do, yeah. and that's not men's fault. It's our lack of education from generation to generation. Yeah. It's our our predecessors not informing us of sexuality and of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always sworn when I have a daughter, like as soon as you start to see that or know of it or feel it's mm-hmm. coming, we are going to the sex shop and she is getting a feel toy. Feel it's coming. Feel it's coming. Yes. Um, we're going to the sex shop because yeah. I would want my child to know pleasure before she knows all the negatives that can happen from sex. Because right. when you have, when you know your pleasure, you stop settling for the shit. When you know how good it can be and how to speak on it mm-hmm. and and how to point somebody in the right direction because this is a two-way street. There needs to be open communication. When you know how to, like, give them directions to your pleasure, you, A, are entering each situation Pleasure based, not goal based and not like just fuck them and chuck them based. Mm -hmm. And you're entering the situation ready. Yeah. Or if you're not ready, you'll speak up because you know where your pleasure lies. And I think that's a huge, huge lost area of education in society. And I think it always has been that way unless we're going like way, way back into like India and Tantra and like we're going way back to there where, where sex and sexuality and human connection was was treated so so highly it was so highly regarded Mm -hmm. and then we've moved away from that and so I think don't have to go all the way back to where it was but I think we do need to really focus on pleasure because it's really easy to hop on the bandwagon that men don't know what they're doing and they're rubbing the wrong spots and they're fucking up and they're treating us like porn stars and in one breath yeah they are but in the other breath We're also not navigating them. And so to go back to your lube topic that you're buying lube, Mm -hmm. like, yes, it is on the man to not stick his, like attempt to stick his penis in you when you're not ready, but it's also on you to know when you're ready or not and to not settle for a space in which you're not ready. And I know I've gotten impatient with my body and I've been like, fuck it. Just like slap on, I just did it a couple months ago. Like when calgary guy was here i was doing i did it multiple times that week yeah because i was too impatient and then i got embarrassed i got embarrassed about my dryness and so i just put lube on because it was like problem solved but yeah that but then was it
1: takes a while like there's a few pumps that go in where you're like ow,
0: ow, ow. yeah but with
1: lube because you're like mm, your body's still like your internal it has
0: to relax organs. it's a muscle you're like trying
1: to adapt to whatever's going on yeah yeah yeah, no. I remember with my most recent um, one night stand. Is this the Bromeo? No, no, no. This is drummer boy. The one <gasps> drummer boy. Sick. Yeah, um, <laughs> your drums.
0: <gasps> they were really good. He looked exactly like him. Yeah, it was um, a bitten bottom lip and drumming. I guess
1: this man is thirty three years old. Okay? Yeah. So I think that he's just the type of guy who likes to fuck a random girl like every week. He just seems like the type, not in a bad way, but like that's just his vibe. Yeah. But there was a point where he was about to stick it in. This guy with like a nine ten inch dick. First of all, I was like, no no no, you're not just putting that in. But I was really proud of myself because he was about to, and I was like, no no no. I need to be warmed up more first. Yeah. And then he stopped and I was like, oh, that's fun. Like, you just say what you need. Most people aren't going to be like, no, but a lot of people are just scared to ask for what they need.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. It's really true. I, I get that completely. And like so many of my sexual experiences, I, I first found my G spot orgasm when I was 24 and it was due to a partner that was not requesting an orgasm from me mm-hmm. mid sex. He was just requesting that I relax. And like his, this like is a nod to Alberta. His line to me mid sex was letter buck, let her buck," <laughs> just letter buck, whatever happens happens. Yeah. But that was the most freeing experience because I couldn't hit a penetrative G-spot orgasm prior. And his relinquish or him just relinquishing not a request on me to do something in like he wasn't asking me to show up in any way. Mm-hmm. He was just giving me holding space for me to however I showed up was good. Yeah. Whether I orgasmed, whether I didn't, whether I did and it got messy, it was everything was welcome in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that got me—that sense of freedom in that moment—got me to relax. That anything could happen, and because in sex everything happens, you fart, you queef, you oh, I
1: love the its my favorite part.
0: You squirt, you like, and it goes everywhere. You don't squirt, you stay dry. You need to go you again.
1: Bleed. There's blood on this. You, teeth. you There's...
0: bleed. You drool. You bonk teeth. Like, like doesn't. Maybe Mm -hmm. you orgasm with a finger in your bum and you poop. Like there's, there's so much that happens in that connected experience, but having the space held for me to just relax was the biggest thing. Um, I've had one night stands where I have like, I wasn't even orgasming, but the amount of liquid coming out of my body, like I could have filled the Amazon. I could have like,
1: that's amazing,
0: but I was so embarrassed like but I had no control and it was so pleasurable and I haven't relaxed enough since then to get Mm. to that point again where like it was just fingers it was not like his penis it was just fingers and I was like literally he had to grab me by the thigh because I was pulling back to squirming back so hard Mm. because so much was coming out of me but it was so pleasurable it was like I needed to be in a bathtub or somewhere that would not be saturated for days I after.
1: I love that women's bodies can do that because I've never experienced that before, but I've seen it.
0: You I see mean, it in porn all the time. You I see mean, it.
1: I've never, I haven't, I mean, I haven't watched that porn before, but yeah, like you've seen it in that and you know that, that quote that we love so much that I told you about where it's like, you have to be good before you can be, or you have to be brave before you have to be brave before you, you can, be, be, good. Before you can yeah. be good. So that saga, mm-hmm. um, the writer's Brian K. Vaughn and in it, it's a very like rated R kind of t- It's not like a porno like graphic novel, but he there's a lot of like sexualization of the characters. And there's one scene where like the this woman is like sitting on a guy's face and then she just like has this flood coming out of her. And I this was like a year or two ago and I stared at it for like five minutes and I was like, can, can our bodies actually do that? Yeah, and I was like, is this real or is this just like graphic novel fantasy? I'm pushing things to the extreme. Right. But then I hear about stories where that happens to people and I'm like, wow. So I stared at this for a long time and I was like, trying to imagine, I was like, oh, I can't wait till the day that happens to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And it's totally a thing because it's like that stuff I had always wondered about myself too. And like, I would talk to my friends, um, years ago who were naturally squirters, just immediate squirters. And they, like, it came so naturally to them and like, the the vagina is the world's biggest mystery. Like we're worried about traveling the ocean. like why are we putting all of our resources into ocean travel? It should be into vagina travel because it's a that
1: different kind of ocean
0: travel yeah, either. that that space can do so many things yeah. and it's and it's all different types of orgasms. like there's clitoris, there is G-spot. you can yeah. get orgasms from being in your butt. Yeah. you can get um, uterine orgasms and that's what I think was triggered uh-huh. on. So with that experience where I'm like squirming back and he's like death gripping my thigh because I wasn't, it wasn't out of like lack of pleasure. He was someone who was very sexually advanced, um, more so than me. Mm -hmm. And I was very much into it. So it was, the death grip was just like, it was in the play and in the heat of the moment. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. negative, but anyways, but then I've had, and that was in a one night stand. He was able to do that. And then. With another person, like the uterine orgasm, he... (sighs) Victoria guy. Victoria guy. Victoria guy, yeah. He um, also studied Tantra and was really... uh, He's an osteopath, and so he's very aware of the human body. Yeah. He's very in tune to human or physical touch. And I have never... Sorry to all the people I've slept with that are going to hear this... I have never been so aroused by somebody going down on me where it's like next level. Like it wasn't even, I wasn't even orgasming. It wasn't even chasing this like end goal, mm-hmm. but just through the whole process where and how he touched me just innately. I yeah. didn't, I had a very little commentary. This is a human who just knew stuff. Yeah. Um, but that he was the first person to actually introduce me to like the topic of a uterine orgasm. And I've looked it up a bunch more and that's where like, I don't partake in this myself, but that's where people who enjoy fisting, that's where they get their pleasure is because it's higher up and the Wait, body. When
1: people get fisted, does it go like up really
0: high? Yeah, it goes up higher oh. and then it stimulates like, I think it's just below the uterus or just below the yeah. cervix. Like I'm not a biology major. Like I don't know all the exact places, but it's just a deeper stimulation And then when you have, like, that much... I did
1: the action, too. I was, like... We're both... I'm
0: standing here rubbing (laughs) my arm,
1: like... We're both, like, pretending to put our fist in different holes. Yeah, (laughs) like,
0: I I have never been fisted. I have never been interested in being fisted. I
1: don't think my body would even let me do that. No,
0: I don't think so. Like, I'm a very tall person. Mm. And I'm a very, like, can be uh, assertive and aggressive person verbally, My vagina is a flower. She's a delicate little lady, and she cannot take much. She needs to be pampered, and so that, or she gets very mad. Um, but anyways, he was like the first person I had experienced that like tapped into a uterine orgasm. Where, going back to like the floodgates opening. Yeah. But that's my experience, and there are people who like as soon as they have like the teensiest, tiniest orgasms can like blow walls down with Mm. their liquid like I have friends that will tell me like we'll be walking on the street and they'll be like I'm so turned down it's running down my leg as we speak like they're just constantly wet yeah I get
1: wet when I like eat a french fry sometimes
0: oh I do not I've always been like the Sahara desert in that regard unless I'm like turned on and Mm. unless I'm like yeah and I mean, like severely turned on, like you have to be in my brain and my body at the same time for me to be like super Yeah. glorious down there.
1: <laughs> one thing I wanted to bring up to you is that when we were talking about how when you were talking about how you were really turned on with him going down on you. Mm. One thing I realized I read this online once that um, when someone is going down on someone like if, with a vagina, I feel like you have to feel we have to feel really safe to be comfortable. And I've noticed like a difference, like a guy was going down on me once and it just felt like I was going to fall off the bed or like he was falling off the bed and he wasn't like holding my legs in a way that made me feel like grounded. Yeah. But then I've been with guys that will hold it, hold me in place and like make me feel like I'm really, really safe. And that's when I can yeah enjoy it yeah. a lot more. And it was just interesting reading it from this perspective of we, we have to feel safer. Like if you hold on to us, in a way that makes us feel comfortable and like, we're not going to mm-hmm. fall or move or whatever.
0: We're it's secure because we're more enjoyable.
1: Yeah. But
0: if you think about it, we're so vulnerable in those positions yeah. that like, Hey, we want to make sure they're not falling. We're not falling. Yeah. Like we want to make sure we're secure. Yeah. I think that's just a good form. Um, but then also I think women especially have been raised under like our body weight and like, we have body uh issues with our body and like obviously being naked is vulnerable and laying their sprawled legs open, you're even entering more vulnerability. But I think I I don't know one female that I've ever talked to that has said they like don't fear a situation where like the guy's skinnier than them and they feel like they're gonna break them or they don't like I'm really tall. And when I date short guys, it takes, it doesn't take away from my femininity, but it affects my femininity. Mm -hmm. And like the only short guy I've ever dated, you would never notice he's short. He had such a big presence Yeah. and he took up space. Like, so when you, and he was strong and sturdy. So I never noticed that. But with other guys I've stood next to, I could romantically, like I, that, that mattered. My body size, not their height, but my body size mattered to me. And it, it took away my femininity. So it's I understand when you're in a, a foreplay situation or a sexual mm. situation and you feel bigger or you feel unsturdy.
1: Yeah, well, because I I mean, this kind of goes into our conversation about how about female friendships and friends lifting each other up, because I've always felt like I was this really thick, curvy person, like not in a bad way. It just depends on who you... Com- I mean, everyone has a different body type. Mm-hmm. So to me, I view myself that way, but other people wouldn't. But when I'm with a guy who's, like, really skinny and whatever, I don't feel as comfortable and I don't know why, mm-hmm. I feel like that's hard on them, too, because these guys know that they're, like, smaller. Mm-hmm. When, I'm, when I'm with someone, like, really, really muscular and I can feel small, then I feel better Yeah. myself, which is...
0: And I think the, the hard part is that, like, needs to be vocalized in that situation or just not even in that situation, but just in the grand scheme of life, isn't like the skinny guy to not take it personally Yeah. because what's happening in the land of bumbles and tinders is like, I've personally never done it and I'm a really tall person, but people will like women will apparently like instantly ask guys their height, like how tall are you? And then if it's like below a certain height standard, Mm -hmm. they like unmatch them immediately or whatever. Um, and so I think men are taking that personally, obviously, as everybody would. Yeah. But then also, like, communicating to your partner, because they're going to personalize that. They're going to take that as they're not good enough, because they have their own body complex issues. Mm-hmm. And I know skinny guys who hate being skinny because of those exact reasons. Mm-hmm. Because they can't make the the female feel, like, small and petite. Yeah. And I think we have to be really, really honest on what our feelings are about ourselves and what we project onto other people.
1: Yeah, because a lot of times it's not, I am I never would not want to date someone because they're short or because they're smaller than me because it's something on them. Like it's mm-hmm. an insecurity within myself. And I feel like, yeah, a lot of guys do take that personally. And I feel like it's important for them to know that it's not, that's not the case. That no. there's nothing wrong with them. It's like an insecurity that we were just raised with
0: but yes i understand when you're not when you're in the throes of sex and or foreplay especially i get really vulnerable in foreplay and i can't stand when guys make eye contact with me please don't stare at me wait
1: when when
0: they look up oh when they're down there
1: i do that when they're
0: oh i don't what i do not
1: oh you okay
0: Okay, let's I think
1: it's because I I think I learned this from movies where people talk about blowjob eyes because I never used to do that until I saw Have it you
0: seen how big my eyes are? Imagine a dick in my mouth and me staring up at you. <laughs> like the
1: perfect blowjob eyes.
0: It's gonna look like a toad. Like my eyes are huge. <laughs> yeah, it's I, interesting. I hate it. I hate when guys look up at me because it it's the nonverbal way of them being like okay come for me it's that like non-verbal expectation of like are you coming yet are you coming yet are you coming yet hey am i doing a good job and i there's something like i have put my hand over people's eyes so many times where i've just like boom. Put it down there yeah. because I just want to be in my own space mm-hmm. with that. I do
1: get that. I've had times where it's taking a while, then someone will look at me and then I get insecure. So I, I totally get that. Yeah.
0: And it's like, what do you want me to do? Make eye contact with you to affirm what you're doing is right. Are we going to like, I can't, she is staring into my vagina. As I, I say that. Here, Cause you are pointing <laughs> down there.
1: I, don't, I didn't know where to
0: look. I, I know. I following your head. I know you were. She's actually
1: naked right now. So you can see.
0: I was gesturing into my vagina at that moment. So totally fair. Yeah, I was just but like,
1: following your hands.
0: When you have eye contact in like missionary or any other position, I'm all for it. Like you can stare mm-hmm. into my soul and that's totally fine. Yeah.
1: That's true. You're the one who told me that. I remember you were the first person I told when I had my first G-spot orgasm. Mm-hmm. And... We were both dating people at the time And you were like I love to just look in his eyes When I'm about to come So I was like Yeah, I'm gonna do that With my guy tonight But then I, I did it. I didn't end up finishing So you were like Did you look at him? And I was like,
0: no Did you look into his eyes? I've never
1: looked I've never made eye contact with that I have to like
0: It's really hard Yeah It's really hard And you can see When you eye contact someone else You can see The limitations of their Like Ability to go vulnerable
1: I think I read this article, I didn't read the whole thing because I have a really short attention span as you also know. Yeah, but it was a very long article, but I read the first bit and the title, and it talks about how people have kind of been living life in the wrong way, where they put romantic relationships as the forefront and center of everything that they should care about, and we throw all of our friendships to the side, so it was kind of like, what if we put our friendships at the forefront of our life, and as, like, the main... Like, obviously, every type of relationship is important. Like, your romantic relationships are important and they deserve attention. But we give it the most attention and we kind of throw our friends aside. So it's kind of like, what if you make your friends, like, the main loves of your life and you have these romances on the side that also, you know, give you a lot. And I was really, I don't know, I feel like that's how I've been living my life. And so it was interesting to read an article that described it like that because I was like, this is where I'm at right now. So it was cool. But like, I'm happy because my friends are number one for me right now.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? It's it's such a, a beautiful, like, thought and notion. And it's such a different way of thinking about things and trying to retrain your mind to put that on the forefront mm-hmm. is really, really difficult because we have been, like, generationally trained to, to put our our mate as number one. I think we undervalue our friends. I think we put a higher value on our partner. And I think our insecurities and our, our life traumas will put a romantic partner before a friend. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to, when someone gets a partner to dis, to begin to disassociate from your friend and be like, Oh, that's, you know, Barbara and Barbara's, the other half of James and like it's Barbara and James, <laughs> but it, it, it's hard to like,
1: I love that the first female name that <laughs> came to your head was Barbara.
0: Cause I actually <laughs> rolled through our Rolodex of friends and like, I almost said Kate, I almost said Jordan and I'm saying them and now. So it defeats the purpose. No, but, like... but
1: then you're like, those are real names. Yeah. Friends, so I can't. So, so I, we're not friends with a Barbara. I don't know a
0: Barbara. I can't throw a Barbara out there. Yeah. So I have a mixed thought on that one, to be honest. No, that's fair. And because I'm all for women supporting women. But it's like... Does it feel like just a romantic notion? Because if you think about your life in the grand scheme of things, like, are you going to grind it out with your friends? Or are you going to, like, go through life alongside with your friends? But really do the deep grinding out with your partner.
1: Yeah. I think for me... It comes from the fact that I've never had a partner before, and so I really like this view of having friends as my main people because those are the only people who've been there for me, not mm-hmm. my family. And so for me, that's a really comforting thought that like I'll grow up, and even if I have a kid or whatever, my friends are always gonna be there. I can't see a partner being there for me, mm. and that might that might just come from my experiences already. And it's not it's not like a cynical thing or anything. I just genuinely like can't imagine it. And you- so. Yeah.
0: you have statistics going in your favor in that thought because what is the divorce rate? Like right. it's, and it, in COVID it's spiking more. Mm. So the chances are higher that you're going to be a single mom mm-hmm. than you are of like, you're going to lose your friends because of your marriage. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like yeah. to have that comforting notion of like my friends first. And I think it's recreating the curve of, I think like it's recreating the curve of community and needing people because if we go back 60 years 70 years 80 years and onward we always had a community of women and people helping each other out even in wartime men went away and women were raising kids communally Uh and we've gone into this space of isolation and I think and our generation especially is really locked into that because not only do we have isolation and independence, but we've got social medias impacting our isolation and our independence. And we're the only generation, not the only generation. We're the last generation to see life pre technology and post technology. So Cause the generation of us yeah. ha- have had it or the generation after have had it this whole way through. Yeah, we
1: had the cassette tapes.
0: We, we had a bit of both. We're, yeah. we're this 50, 50 split. Yeah. And so we're, but then we're hit with a pandemic. We are adults that are in our mid-20s, early thirties, or sorry, I should say late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> um late 20s. Whatever. But we're this generation that is changing the curve. Mm-hmm. We're we've got more options than we ever have before, like any generation had before. We have the world at our fingertips and we don't have to live to work. We don't have to live to provide to a family and to a community but we're in a space of all these different decisions, but we're not taking huge steps forward in any decision because there's so many, Mm -hmm. but I think this idea, okay. So to backtrack now in COVID community has been the big thing that I've seen come out of COVID Yeah, and it's taking care of each other and nurturing each other and making sure, you know, you're a fellow person has the necessities, has food, has toilet paper has a roof over their head and supporting each other in allowing that to, to grow. So I think your philosophy in, in having friends that are just as much as, or just as important is actually what's going to be coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be that offset to, we're in a pandemic, we have nobody, but the people around us. And Mm -hmm. We've gone from such an insular, isolated group of people and we loved it that way and we're happy to being like, whoa, I'm sick of fucking FaceTime. I'm sick of Bumble. I want somebody to physically hug me. Yeah. Because we've gone like the pendulum has swung so far the other direction where we were like, kind of coasting and like, I don't need to see my friends or when I'm with my friends, I'm going to be texting other people and I'm going to be like disconnected and disassociated. But then now it's swung so far where you're like, I just want to hug. Like, remember our first hug. I was just
1: about to say you were the first person that I Mm -hmm. hugged. I'm pretty sure the girl, there was a woman walking by. I'm pretty sure she thought that we were like, Mm -hmm. a in a romantic couple, our first
0: hug in like the end of may oh my
1: god we went like three four months without hugging each mm-hmm. other and i hugged her and we did i didn't let you go for like a whole minute yeah and then she had her dog this like big scary looking mastiff who was like the sweetest i think she's a sweet little angel but mm-hmm. like she doesn't apparently she doesn't look like that no. to strangers she started barking at this woman and then this woman looks at us and i was like oh should i should i not should i stop hugging i don't want to yeah. stop hugging you yeah <laughs> I wanted to cry. That was really, yeah.
0: But that's like, I think there's a lot of growth happening from that. And like within this podcast of like a lonely city, I don't know if you can not talk about COVID and loneliness. Mm -hmm. And like I, this bitch cannot wait till the psychological studies start coming out in a year from now, five years from now of what this pandemic has done to our mental health. What I think this is like, I guess to reference another pendulum or to reference a bow and arrow, like we're being pulled so far back and so far away from human connection. Like, is there going to be a baby boom on the other end of this? Are we going to go back into like seventies mode and it's all festivals and human contact and like peace, love and just just like like, human experience.
1: Yeah. I was kind of imagining, I mean, I've had these daydreams about what it's going to look like when the announcement comes that everything's back to normal. Not that that's, it's going to happen like that, but but I just imagine Bonnie Henry being like freedom. Fuck everybody. Yeah. I'm like, i people are either going to go crazy or they are going to be so scared to touch other people.
0: I am for sure, for sure going to be the crazy end of the spectrum. Like I can see it right now because everything I've craved and everything I've missed. And like, I am gonna go the like festival, let's hug and cuddle and hold each other because at the end of the day, like again, I'm gonna reference the grave, but we don't go to the grave with our money and with our like physical possessions or with our like, we followed every rule. Like, let's go to the grave now. This is like the right thing to do. It's Mm -hmm. like, we're gonna go with our human connection. We're gonna go with our memories. And people are going to mourn us not for the fact that like, oh, that Larissa, she sure followed the rules really well. They're going to remember her for the memories they had with her, the hugs, the the emotions. I'm not saying discard COVID rules now. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying like it's a human experience and it's really sad that people are losing their lives within this experience. But I think when we come to the tail end of this or when life just shows us what new life looks like, or when COVID shows us what new life looks like, it's going to be, I'm going to strive for better human connection right now. We're in this purgatory of, we want to care about each other, but we have to stay so distance. And I understand that I I've been thrown into quarantine. I respect my boundaries and I respect my rules because I've been through the quarantine gamut. Um, But I think at the tail end of this, human connection is hopefully what comes to the forefront because we're all doing the things we're doing, the masks, the cleaning, the washing, the distance to protect each other. And I hope we care for each other in in a better way than we did when we entered this on our way out.